We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. This is a chat with Craig Hope of the Daily Mail about his conversation with Newcastle United CEO Darren Eels and Director of Football Dan Ashworth. If you like what we do, particularly with Craig, uh, we speak to him at least every other week on our Patreon platform, which is £8 a month for loads of these podcasts um, that we do and also helps keep this show going. You also get these podcasts without the adverts. Hope you enjoy my chat with Craig. Speak to you soon. Craig, lovely to have you on the show as always. Uh, Fantastic that you and industry colleagues were given the opportunity to talk to two of the most important people at Newcastle United right now, all on the record, which has been brilliant for someone like me who laps up this kind of content. And there's been so many articles um, out there about what these guys have said. And, you know, you've put, I think... Uh, at least three three articles on the mail website, which have all been absolutely fascinating. So my first question is, how and what you know, how did this happen? What was it like? What were the circumstances? And and also, why do you think the club have done this? Yeah, well, well it's, it, they've been two interviews we've been asking for since the guys came in, as you, as you can well imagine. And there's always been the promise of of the two of them speaking to us national journalists down the line. And uh, I was actually in, uh, I was actually in, in a, you know, without name dropping here, I was in a. Uh, not the Newcastle fans would be impressed by this whatsoever. I was in a Mayfair restaurant on Monday with Graham Souness when I got a call from Newcastle's head of communications saying that, uh, yeah, that we will be given access to, to Dan and Darren on Wednesday at St. James's. And, you know, would you like to come along? Which, of, of course, the answer is absolutely yes. This is what we've been crying out for for a, for a long time now, not just within the confines of the new Saudi ownership, but, you know, way back before, before that, you know, going all the way back to the... To the time of you know Dennis Wise, Jeff Fateri's, Tommy Jimenez, Derek Lambayas, Joe Kinnear, Lee Charney, all these guys who, who never really took the time to properly sit down in front of us on the record and give us you know credible, real answers with tangible examples of, of what they want to do and, and how they're going to achieve it. And that is certainly what we got with Dan and Dan and Darren on Wednesday. And, you know there was eight or nine of us went in. We were in a, an executive box on the fifth floor. We had half an hour, 40 minutes with Darren, and then half an hour, 40 minutes with, with Dan. And the, the order of the two as well kind of flowed because I don't want to do uh, Darren uh, Darren Neal's down here at all, but it was almost like Darren, the chief executive, was the was the salesman, you know. He gave the pitch for the club and it was very... Uh, it was it, it was almost as if we were we were external to that and he was selling the United to us and the, the vision for it and, and what they wanted to do. 
Dan then came in the room, Dan Ashworth, and it was almost as if he was talking to us as internal employees. It was almost as if he was looking in over, and he was giving us the demonstration of how we would achieve that within the confines of the football club, if you know what I mean. So there were two very different half hours. Uh, Dan Dan is very much in his own words. He is the man at the, the hub of the wheel, the centre of the wheel. He's got nine departments across the club, which he is he is responsible for. Now, as he said himself, you know, when Dan Ashworth comes in as sporting director, immediately everybody thinks recruitment, recruitment. Well, it's not. You know, there are so many. It's about setting a culture throughout the club. It's about, you know, it, it, it's about the academy. It's about the it's about the loans. It's about psychology and well-being. It's about the women's team. Uh, you know, the, 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 you went through, through through each individual facet of it, which he's going to be in, in, in control of. And, it was really impressive stuff in the they dovetailed incredibly well. And it just comes back to the words, uh, the word Alex, credible. How long have Newcastle United been crying out for real executive footballing clout at that level? You, you know, you, you can go back as far as you want, really. And that was the first time I sat down in front of two, uh, two, you know, boardroom level individuals, if you like, and have been reassured. Uh, impressed and walked away thinking Newcastle United in is is in extremely good hands, and you know they they just come across as 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 good people as well, good people who were enthused, who were genuine. I believed every word that they said, especially with Dan Ashworth. You know, now Dan Ashworth is a is a suit. You know, he's a tracksuit who who is who has evolved into a suit. He is very polished. Uh, you know, he doesn't put a word wrong. And I suppose if you're being sceptical, you, you could think, well, you know, how much of that is bluff? How much of that is bluster? Trust me, the impression I got was not a word. He gave us real tangible examples. And if, if I was sat there as, as an internal employee and he was giving this pitch to me, which obviously I wasn't, but I, I would have been sold. I, I really would have been. And, and, and likewise with, with Darren as well, to, in, 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 a, in a different way. But uh, yeah, it, it goes back to that, you know, two really impressive appointments. And what's that old adage? You know, no, no dickheads. And I think Newcastle are appointing. You know, started with Eddie Howe, and I think it's continued as well. They're, they're appointing good people, and that that hasn't always been the case. You know, there's been there has been some dickheads at Newcastle United. Some of them fairly recently. I fell out with most of them. <laughs> uh, but the, these the, these were two guys who I got a, a really good feel for. And you know, we'll go on to talk now about the different questions and the actual mechanics of what they said and what they didn't say because it was fascinating. It was really interesting. There was a lot of uh, a, 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 a really important news lines to come from it as well. What we would call news lines as journalists. So, so yeah, let's explore it. But very impressive. Glad the club did it. They were right to do it. And I knew the minute I left the building, the supporters reading it would be impressed, would be reinsured. Now, further afield, what the interpretation is of some of it, some of it I, I don't know. We'll have to read the analysis over the next couple of days. But certainly as a man on the ground working in the northeast patch, I thought it was very good. Really enthusiastic to hear, and I think it's fair to say that from a supporter's perspective, it, it's been received really, really well, the fact that the club are doing this engagement with you guys, which is ultimately for supporters' benefit to be able yeah. to read and get an insight to. I think the maybe the I think there was two key supporter concerns have come mm. out of these interviews. Okay, and, and the first one that I'll put to you, and it's a, it's a well quoted thing now from Ashworth in this chat. It's um, that he doesn't think there is a ceiling on how high mm. Newcastle United can go. So we've had a lot of questions in tonight ahead of this podcast about that from people, and. You know, I think I think to kind of summarise because a lot of the questions were they're all good questions, but kind of similar. 
is this is this Ashworth setting out the stall that Amanda Staveley set out almost 12 months ago to the day, um, essentially saying that they're looking to take Newcastle United not just into the top six, not just into the top four, but right to the top of the Premier League in time. Is that what is that the message you thought he was conveying? And if not, what do you think he was trying to say with that? No, I think he was, but I think using the phrase "there is no ceiling for this club" is a rather uh, it's a, a less sensationalist way of saying we are going to win the Champions League within five to ten years. It's a cleverer way of saying it. You know, you know, Amanda was very good on that first day, and she was thrust into an impossible situation. She was live on the six o'clock news, for goodness' sake. You know, so she was getting a lot of things thrown at her, and she probably never intended to say we want to win the Premier League and the Champions League within five to ten years, but she did, and we. We all made headlines out of it. So, yeah, we were happy. But, uh, no, it, it was my question, actually. You know, I, I, it was the very first question we set it down and we'd had it, you know, without wanting to, to shine a light on magic. We'd, we, we'd met beforehand, uh, us reporters, for, uh, for, for a little get-together and we, we determined a plan of attack, you know, for want of, a, want of a better phrase. And we decided that I would go in, you know, talking to Dan Ashworth from the off, question, why are you here? And what can the club achieve? You know, I think they're just the two absolute standout questions. And to go back to... Uh, why are you here? Because I've written an interview for tomorrow's Daily Mail based on this chat. And uh, again, I was talking with some of my colleagues earlier in the day, Chris Woff, Martin Hardy. It was 5,000 words of this, Alex, to, to go through from Dan. And I was talking with a couple of the guys earlier. You know, what, what was the best of it? What are you going to lead off on? And myself and Martin Hardy had the chat. You know, well, if you if you walked out of there and went into, your, went into a pub or onto a podcast and uh, they asked, you know, what was your takeaway? One of my big takeaways from Dan was just when I said to him, why are you here? It was his absolute enthusiasm for the for the opportunity. And he said, you know, every now and again in life, you get given a, a challenge, an opportunity, where you just go, wow, blimey, this is too good to turn down. And that wasn't a, that wasn't a monetary comment. That was a, a coming in with a blank book, you know, with, with a blank page in front of you, and you're being given the keys to the kingdom to build something here. You know, the journey is always better than the destination. I think I've said that a few times on this podcast relating to different things. Dan Ashworth is a journeyman. He's a builder. He built at West Brom. He built at the FA. He built at Brighton. He did a very good job at all three as well. It's why he is where he is. It's why he's got the reputation in the game. He was so enthused and excited by this project, not just because of the the, the blank book, where the blank book was. You know, he said he had an idea of how passionate Newcastle was, how big a football club it was. He knew all of that from afar. It's only now he's on the ground here. He's realised actually how big, and how good it potentially it potentially could be. That was the answer to that question. To go back to, to your question with regards to the ceiling, I said to him, and I think I referenced within that, Amanda Stavely's comment on day one, five to ten years, Premier League, competing for Champions League, PSG, all the rest of it. And, and he gave, as I say, a, a rather more diplomatic answer, but he did finish with, there is no ceiling for this club. Now, if the if the ambition is to win the Champions League, well, 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 well there is no ceiling. Of course, there's no ceiling because you know that that is the ultimate. So, uh, in many ways, we shouldn't really be too too surprised by the answer. And that is that is where they want to take the club. I, I don't think that is really up for debate. What is more interesting is how quickly are they going to get there and how are they going to get there. And that's probably what we're what we're going to explore. Yeah, definitely. And, and there's a few people ask questions about the the speed and how how the club gets to, you know, even just getting into the top six or the top four. Um, you know, you've just made the excellent point to me 
and we'll, as we were chatting off air, that they've spent two hundred million pounds on eight players, which is a hell of a lot more money than the previous owners would have spent. But in Premier League real terms, there aren't many teams competing in the top six who would sp- mm. who would be able to get eight players for two hundred million pounds. And I think a lot of the questions that have have, have come in from listeners have have been did Ashworth and I suppose Eels as well, but did either of them give any clues to? The, to the roadmap ahead in terms of spending, in terms of time frame, in terms of how they want to do it. And let's face it, the, mm. what they've been doing well so far has been working. Are you expecting more of the same after mm. your chat, or did you did you get a hint of any kind of any, any kind of different way of doing things to come from either? Mm. Well, we'll start with time frame. On time frame, they were both on message with this. They will not put a time on anything, and I get that. But what they did commit to, commerce, was they both said this. They both used the term very quickly. Now, you know, read into that what you want. I think my takeaway from that was as quickly as they possibly can. You know, they want to do everything as well as they can. They're not going to try and blind us with five to 10-year plans, 15-year plans. As Dan Ashworth said himself, you know, if you try your best and get everything in place, strange things can happen in football. You know, while the odds would suggest it will take Newcastle, you know, four, five, six years to get to where they, where they want to be. He said Leicester won the league as a 5,000 to one shot. So, so you know, why can't Newcastle United this year break the top four? They're sixth at the moment. Outside the top two or three teams in the league, I don't see anyone who should massively scare uh, Newcastle. They're currently seven to one, Alex, seven to one to be playing Champions League football next season. Now, a year ago, Newcastle were in the bottom three and Steve Bruce was manager. So while what a job they've done in the, in the past year just to put themselves in that position, to be giving themselves a, a puncher's chance to land in Champions League football in the first full season. I mean, you know, and it goes back to what the point I made off there to you, you know. They have spent a lot of money. They've spent an amount that, to quote Dan Ashworth, isn't sustainable. It, but not that it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable on the current model. It's not sustainable on the model of, you know, let's be facetious, close to zero commercial income in, in the grand scheme of things. It's not uh, sustainable on the on the basis of having, you know, no player sales, absolutely no money coming back in in that regard. So if those two if those two revenue streams change, then, you know, 200 million, okay, 200 million pounds over two windows always is going to be extreme. But they could spend, you know, 150 million pounds over two windows if they're bringing money back in. They, they could spend more. It's all about... It's all about trading and, you know, playing things off against each other. So uh, there were a lot of facets to your question. I think we'll probably have to revisit some of them to, to remind me. But in terms of time scale, I think they want to get there as, as quickly as they can. And the important thing was, though, Alex, I believed them when they said they wanted to get there. That's that's the important thing. You know, it, it wasn't just words, you know, we're going to try to do this, try to do that, see where it takes us. The absolute internal aim is to get to the, is to get to the very top uh, and... and yeah, I mean, listen, you throw some more questions at me in terms of the actual sort of mechanics and specifics. But when I come away from that, you know, I was left in no doubt as to what they want to do. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Which is great to hear. And it's, you know, the fact that you're convinced, Craig, uh, you know, it, it, it's, pro- it's promising to me because you guys are the skeptical ones. You know, you guys yeah. are the ones who, who deal with people in football all the time who have to listen to them and tell, you know, people, like you say, it doesn't it doesn't seem to have been hyperbolic at all. There's, there's ambition without mm. arrogance. Um, you know, in your interview with, with Dan as well, later in your piece, you know, there, there is specific discussions about breaking the £100 million mark for a player. There's discussions about how can we keep hold of Bruno Gomares. I think even this kind of level of transparency from Dan, is pr- is pretty good, uh, you know. Before before reading before reading your piece about it, I didn't expect them to be drawn on such specifics. Um, mm. Was that your expectation as well? Or and, and, I mean, is it was this the first time you'd met him? Did you have a preconception before going to this of what he'd be like? Perhaps yeah, because my two previous dealings with him, I, I met him, bumped into him once at the training grounds, uh, and, and once in the press room as well. You know, they were both off the record chats, and I think the first time he was meeting journalists, he was, he was relatively guarded, not nonetheless uh, impressive. But yeah, he did open up here. And the one thing that struck me was his uh, his his sort of passion and, and his enthusiasm for it and his willing his willingness to go into specifics as well. You know, he wasn't there to bullshit us. If we gave him a question, he, he, he tried his best to answer it. And the, the topic as well, which, which I know we'll come on to, and I've seen a lot of the comments, you know, it is to do with FFP and and ultimately, supporters want to know the answer to one question, really. How much have we got to spend in January? How much are we going to spend next summer? Uh, now, they, they, they have overspent uh, in terms of what they thought they were, they were going to invest in players so far. But, you know, they've done that with the, what they think is, is for the right reasons. They think £60 million for Alexander Rizak is is value. They, they thought it was needed in terms of, you know, the, the concerns over Callum Wilson. Uh I think we've spoken on a previous part. I think Isaac out of the, the three big signings, Isaac, Bruno and, and Botman is, is the one who's probably got most approved as of now. But, you know, he's only three games now. I think we're, we're getting sidetracked a little bit there. But, but, but yeah, uh, they've, they've, they've got to find a way to, to navigate FFP. Everyone has spoken, Eddie Howe has spoken about this, Darren Neal has spoken, spoken about it, Dan Ashworth spoke about it. And the, the one way you do that, and I'm revisiting the previous answer, is, you know, increase commercial revenues, uh, and, and increased player trading as well, which then brings us on to the most obvious question of all. And it was one I asked, uh, I asked of Dan Ashworth, you know, Bruno Gamares, because that, Dan was quite honest, really, when he went into that trading answer. Uh, and he said, you know, there will come a time where an offer comes in for a player and it would have been his aspiration to move to, to Club X or Club Y. And he said, there's nothing we can do about it. If they really want to go, that does happen on your journey. He said, Liverpool have sold Sadio Mane, a player who just at that point in time wanted to move to Bayern Munich. He said, we will be faced with that opportunity, uh, that, sorry, that, that prospect. Now, he gave that answer and we moved on. I came back to it and I said, I said, listen, Dan, I said, you know, you've given us that answer. It's very good. It's, it's very honest. It's, you know, it, it's understandable. I said, but when supporters read that, they're going to be reading between the lines and the one name screaming, jumping off the pages, he's talking about Bruno Gamares. So I said, now we're going to get specific here. Are you going to sell Bruno Gamares? Because you know, if we don't address it, supporters will read into that every player. You know, every player is potentially for sale. And I think the answer you gave, which I think you've already read, is you know, and it was quite emphatic. He looked me in the eye and he said, 
absolutely no way do we want to sell Bruno. You know, he is an integral part of this journey, a brilliant player. And, you know, over time, we're confident if we give the, the, the right environment, everything else, the, the top talent, the, the will want to stay. But then he said, he said, what would you sell him for? Just up, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm not here to answer the questions, Dan. That's <laughs> so would you sell him for five hundred million pounds? To which I said, "Well, well, yes, I would." He said, "Well, there you go. That's your headline, not mine." But I think the point he was making was every player has the price, and of course, every player does have the price. You know, even if someone doesn't want to go, if you're on that journey of having to navigate FFP and you having to trade in Real Madrid, come and say, "This is the man we want above all else." We're willing to break the world record transfer fee. Let's be more realistic. You know, two hundred million pounds. And I think Newcastle have probably got a decision to make because that is where they're at because they're starting at such a such a low base, really. Uh, now, some supporters, I've written this in my piece for tomorrow, even at £500 million, some supporters would say, we're not selling Bruno because, wow, what a connection he is. I've never seen it. I don't think I've ever seen in six months, Alex, I don't know if you have a, a connection quite like it. I know that there's been instant heroes, there's been cult heroes, there's been popular players, but there's something about this guy which is just the... The entire package and selfishly as a journalist, I don't want to see him go anywhere because he's just a wonderful story. And he stops and talks in the mix zone and bless him, he's learned English within six months <laughs> and he's just wonderful. What a player! Uh, so, so yeah, that 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 was his message on on all of that. And I don't know, you know, I'll, I'll turn it back on you when you were when you were reading that in terms of the the need to trade, you know, the prospect of a, a Bruno type perhaps going one day. What did you take from it? Was it was it honesty? Was it was it alarm? What did you feel? Honesty and but also a bullishness there. I think that, you know, like I said to you, the level of transparency from I think the easy thing for someone, maybe not in his position, because Newcastle have never had someone in his position before, to my to the best of my knowledge. So it's new for us as well to have someone in his role speaking to the press. But also the fact that he, like you just said there, I think his answer his answer to you is quite combative, you know, mm. and I like that. I like that about him. He, it's kind of it's almost like playing the game. He knows that reporters are after a headline. He knows that they're after, or you're after a story, because that's why you're there. And you have told a great story, and there's lots of other good articles out there about this. But the fact that he's almost he's turned it back onto you, and he's essentially said, "Well, of course, you know." To me, it's like, "Well, of course, he's for sale. This is football. This is what happens." Yeah. Do we? Do, but do we want to sell him? Absolutely not. And then I'm still always contrasting things to what came before, because I'm still getting used to this. So in the past, it was all, almost that kind of, if a player got too good too quickly, a bit like Denver Barr probably at Newcastle, wasn't here long, but did very, very well. Of course, he was off, a bit like Johan Kabai. Um, whereas it will take one of the biggest football clubs in the world at silly money, from what it sounds like, to take Bruno Gomes. I think the vast majority of supporters will understand that. And you are right about the connection that he's he's uh, he's managed to whip up. I mean... Um, you know, I think since he came, we've still only been beaten when he's been playing by Man City and Liverpool, which is extraordinary. Yeah. You know, um, he, he wasn't there for a few of the other defeats, possibly played against Chelsea as well, actually. But again, you know, those three clubs, it's almost like when he plays for you, you don't think you'll get beat. And that's going to be tested this this Sunday. But when Wilson, Bruno, uh, Botman and Hoy St. Maximin in there playing the same team, you are like how our team's going to beat us. And Bruno's a massive part of that. But Great, great answers from him. It's a, it's a really, really good interview, and there's, there's a lot of stuff goes on in 
in football and, and and some of the stuff you read where you get these kind of powder puff answers that don't really tell you much. What impressed me most mm-hmm. about this, Craig, is just how confident he comes across mm-hmm. in this interview. This is a guy who's, who seems to me like he's at the very top of his game in his yeah. role. And, and you know, the opening, the opening lines you've got were... Um, or, or as you've already alluded to, sometimes in life an opportunity comes along where you go, wow, blimey, it's just too good to turn around. It, feel, it feels like he, he feels that while he's doing yeah. the job. Like this is his moment that his whole career has led toward. And I don't know, that, that just, the whole interview just comes across as incredibly exciting for that reason. And mm-hmm. that, this isn't an owner. This isn't the manager. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is, I don't know, his technical title was the director of football. That's what he's been, you know, labeled mm-hmm. as. Um and I just, I just can't believe he's is a bit like Bruno playing for yeah, us. Yeah. I can't believe that Ashworth is 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 giving these interviews, talking about these things, and and referencing no ceilings, and 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 being transparent about figures, about transfer figures, and financial mm. fair play. It's um, it's one of the, it's one of the best best things I've read in a long time. I think as a Newcastle fan. Yeah, no, I understand. I understand that, and I haven't written that piece to to appease you guys. I haven't. I've I've put on a piece of paper exactly what he said and exactly as, as I interpreted it, the same as I, I did with Darren 24 hours earlier and you know to, to, to go back to the, the ignoring Darren Heels here a bit as well probably because he was the, his coverage was, was 24 hours ago and it's the Ashworth interview which has just dropped a, an hour ago you know <clears throat> Darren Heels was honest as well and you know, he, he made the point and it's probably an obvious one but maybe it's only obvious to 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 me it might be obvious to supporters I don't know someone who, who's more within the game I don't know but you know he said he said we can't do, you know, Newcastle cannot do what Manchester City did when, when they were taken over. You know, they can't do what Chelsea did. It's 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 got to be it's got to be sustainable. It comes back to the evolution, not revolution. And he was he was really keen to, to hammer home that point. And I just think it's, a, it's it's an important one to reiterate, not only for supporter expectation, but it also as well it, it sends a message to to other clubs, other clubs who would think perhaps take Newcastle for a, for a ride in. Again, it goes back to, to the business they've done. And we spoke about this, you know, top six clubs don't buy eight players for £200 million. They just don't. You know, if they're getting eight players, it, it's, it's £40, £50 million a shot. You, you're going somewhere close to double that, £400 million. Newcastle have got eight players and eight good players as well. You know, uh, OK, Chris Wood come into the job. Jury probably still on Alexander Isaac. But wow, you know, in terms of recruitment so far, I think everyone would agree they've got it absolutely right. But then... But then, and this was the really important point that, that Darren Eels made, there's actually no room for error. You know, if you get a £60 million Alexander Isaac wrong, well, you're as good as potentially writing off a massive £60 million commercial deal. And bearing in mind that, that at the moment, you, you need to get those commercial deals right. And on the back of that, the money you get from them, you need to get the player recruitment absolutely right. You know, that money's got to go at the right place because you just can't go back and, and say, okay, okay, we got him wrong, we'll park him, we'll go and get £60 million from elsewhere. FFP just doesn't allow for that. So there's a realism there. Uh, but while it was all optimistic or ambitious, all the rest of it, it did come with that warning that, you know, so far they've got everything right. They've actually got to continue to get everything right to carry on the trajectory on on, on, on which they're on. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to talk too much on, on one answer, but to go back to something which I was going to pick you up on earlier, you know, we're talking about Bruno and uh, my piece in the Daily Mail on Monday posed two questions. And again, you know, this was something we were talking about in the press room afterwards. Uh, will this be Bruno Gamara's only full season with Newcastle United? And is he Newcastle's greatest ever midfielder now? The second one, we can probably park. We'll debate that on it. Uh, on, on another podcast, but will this be his only full season? Well, 
the the interviews with Darren and Dan, I always felt were going to be informative to to answering that question. Uh, and it doesn't have to be, you know, you touched on it there. Demba Ba and Yuan Kabai very quickly outgrew Newcastle United. Bruno Gomares is growing with Newcastle United. You know, they can go, they, they can go on this journey together at the same pace. Uh it's not the Newcastle United of old. It might actually Newcastle United, Bruno Gomares would, would might have been gone in August, you know, he might, he might have been gone after six months, never mind 18 months. It doesn't have to be Bruno. If he wants to stay, Newcastle should have everything in place to satisfy him, be that in terms of, of, of wages, the stage of football he wants to play on, ambition, supporters, adoration, all the rest of it, which is, for me, this goes back to previous pods, which I think it's widely important, so important to get European football this season and some guys just to keep them on, on, on track to, to satisfy the likes of Bruno and, and Botman. So to answer my own question, and I want your answer as well, my answer to that question on Monday, I posed in the mail, I don't think it will be his only full season at Newcastle. I don't think it has to be. This is a different Newcastle United. I agree with you. And I think the fact that, um, you know, I don't want to get too much into who said what at the start of the window. And, and, and you know, a lot of the questions, like you correctly predicted there, are, are about are we going to spend in January and when are we going to start spending like some of those clubs that we want to reach. But there was discussions in the summer, wasn't there, about there being no big signing, about there being... Um, you know, we spent a lot of money in January. We spent a lot of the summer's budget, and, and lo and behold, they go in and they bring in Sven Botman and, and Alexander Isak. And, and like you correctly said, well, like as you're saying now, to a player like Bruno Gamaris, that is going to keep him satisfied. If, if Newcastle had brought in Matt Target, converted his his mm. loan to a full time signing, he might be thinking, "Well, I'm not going to reach my potential here um, because the club don't share the same ambition." You know, this interview itself suggests that the club do match Grimaris's ambition and beyond. Mm. They might not keep him forever. He might not get a testimonial. There might there might become a stage when he casts a Champions League club, but you know, just because you get in the Champions League doesn't mean you automatically progress to the next stage or yeah. or the latter stages or win it. Um yes. you know, there's there's a World Cup this this winter as well. Then there's you know that there's there's all of those considerations for him and the player and how that goes for him. There's a lot outside the club's control. Yeah. But ultimately you know, as we sit here, Newcastle have only lost once in nine games or sixth in the league. Why would he be looking to leave? He turned up in nineteenth place. Mm. He turned up. He turned up when they'd won uh, two two Premier League games in twenty four. I think it was a twenty three. So the club couldn't have done any more since he came in to match his ambition. So what you know, why why would anything have changed? So I think I think he'll be here long. Well, long term, but definitely beyond this season. Yeah, and it, 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 you know. Totally, change. I've just been thinking through some of the questions and comments there. You know, totally changing tact, Alex. I don't know if you're going to come to this, but the uh, the stadium as well. Yeah. You know, part of the part of the 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 journey is you know maximising revenue, but uh, and one way to do that is of course by increasing the stadium. But I want to put this back on you because I'm interested to get your thoughts from a fan perspective. So, Darren Eels gave us the impression uh, in the first round of interviews that you know. Expanding the stadium is something they're exploring. I know from conversations with different people, it is absolutely something they're exploring. They're looking at going on top of the on top of the Gallagher end potentially, and hopefully they're thinking, you know, you might not have to go into Strawberry Place, you know, with, with modern engineering. There could be a way around it. So we asked Darren Ashworth this is pretty much the last question, pretty much a throwaway question at the end, because we thought we'd covered all that ground with Darren. And Darren Ashworth gave a very different answer. And he said, you know, it's not my department, really. So you have to ask other people about that but he hinted that you know they would only do it if it was if it was commercially viable if it was worthwhile and he was at pains to stress that the bulk of your revenue streams nowadays have nothing to do with ticket sales you know 
So is, I'm going to put the question back on you, is expanding the stadium more a, a sort of a, an altruistic, you know, pursuit in terms of just the more bodies in there, the more supporters you keep happy, the better it looks. But say, for example, I'm plucking numbers, you know, I don't think these numbers will be far wrong. I'm not saying they're accurate, but say it costs £100 million to put five 5,000 seats on top of the Gallagher end. Now, if you're selling those seats for £1,000 a year, that means you're bringing in £5 million. That's £20 million to make up the £100 million you've spent on, on putting the, the extra seats on top of the Gallagher. As a supporter, now, you might be biased. Your seat's already in the stadium. You've got it secured. It might be different if you're locked out. Would you think that would be worthwhile from a, a monetary commercial point of view, or do you think Newcastle best off just sticking with what they've got? I think that as a supporter, and you're right, uh, I couldn't. I'm lucky. I've got two seats in the stadium, and, and if I and if I had to hand pick both, I couldn't pick better seats than I would want. Concern for me, to give you a kind of long answer, is it's it's younger fans I worry about, and I know it's mm. something the club are looking at now. I think they've discussed that you know internally they've talked about how to get younger people to away games because again away, the away game system fans are locked out again great with me with 230 loyalty points but if you're a 16 year old lad or lass who wants to see Newcastle play away from home it probably isn't going to happen for about 20 yeah. years yeah, yeah. so 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 it goes beyond just getting more fans in though that's what I want I think 100 million pounds to, to, to add 5,000 seats as a fan I, I could recognize that maths doesn't work hmm. it doesn't work and you know they can only do what they can do um I was going to say to you when we moved on to Darren, um, that was the big thing from his interview was 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 the stadium, both naming rights and expansion. Yeah. But it's really interesting that Dan Ashworth touched on that as well because I don't think right now in Great Britain there is a harder place to get a ticket for a league game than Newcastle United. Mm. That was the case when they were 14th in the league. It's mm. now the case that they're 6th in the league. The, the Chelsea game went on sale this week. Um, and I think after about 20 minutes... Um, and this it isn't this isn't public sale, by the way. And there are all sorts of parts of the system that I don't like, but I don't blame the club. For example, you have to be sat there at your computer and have an hour free, ten a.m. on Tuesday, Wednesday morning to get a ticket. It's a lot of people can't do that. So th- there is a problem with access to St James's Park, and there is a problem that the ground is simply too small for us. One of the things I suppose to put back to you in in your perspective, uh, perspective is because you go around the country, you don't just watch Newcastle United at St James's Park. Part of having a big stadium. Um, it's not just about ticket sales, but the biggest yeah. clubs in the world uh, are continually building up their stadium. So Liverpool are expanding again. Even West Ham, I think, have got plans eventually that they could expand the London Stadium. Chelsea are looking to move. Um, you know, even Aston Villa are, are, are adding seats. Leicester are adding seats, even if we go below where we want to be. It just doesn't feel like, um, you know if you're going to be one of the biggest clubs in the world, it just seems ridiculous to play in a 50,000 seat stadium. It just, yeah. it just, it just seems like it's not compatible with the demands of being that kind of club. So yeah. do you, th- do you think that will play into it at all? Because I mean, Ashworth has been very clear to you there that it has to commercially mm. make sense, but yeah, it, it doesn't make sense to be one of the biggest clubs in the world and play in front of only 50,000 people. Man City it pro- will probably extend again as mm. well. Yeah. So to answer my own question, uh, if it was me, you know, I was making that decision. I would absolutely expand the stadium for the following reasons. One, infrastructural improvements don't count towards FFP. So if the Saudis just want to, you know, dig a hundred million pounds from, from somewhere to to do that work, then they can. You know, it doesn't impact you from an FFP perspective. Uh, 
the legacy thing, I think, is so important, you know, protecting the generation of tomorrow. I've got three boys, age six, four and one. We live in Newcastle. They're probably going to go to be Newcastle fans. I don't want them to be locked out. I want them, like, like I did as a boy, to have a choice to go and watch, to go and watch football. Uh, I think that's incredibly important. And I just think the more people you've got inside the ground, the more uh, secondary sales you've got, really, in terms of, you know, yeah. your, your kits, your memberships, your wave fans, your, your, just, just everything around it. You know, the, the more supporters you've got in, the, the more money you, you, you generate, the more interest you have, all the rest of it, everything which shoots off from that. Moving on to, to, to other, you know, benefits, 60,000 supporters are more intimidating than 52. You know, 52 is already a pretty intimidating place to play for the opposition. If you've got 60, that probably improves your chances of, of winning matches. 60,000 just sounds better than 52 in terms of selling it to, to potential signings all around the world. How many times do we, you know, I'm, I'm sick. We're constantly writing 52,000 screaming Geordies, 52,000 <laughs> Geordies. Let's bump that up to 60. Just give us something different to write about. But uh, it, it just it just sounds better to it sounds better to uh, to potential sponsors, partners, you know, commercial deals, all the rest of it. I think the point Dan Ashworth made about ticket sales not being the be all and end all, while it holds a lot of water, and if you're going to break it down in terms of the the, the hard maths of investment uh, cost. Sorry, uh, the, the uh, engineering, structural cost, all the rest of it versus how long it takes to get back. Okay, it probably doesn't make sense, but I think there are so many secondary factors to that that have got to be taken into account for all the reasons I've just listed there, which for me would make expanding the stadium an absolute yes. Yeah. And I mean, it's even though it's not uh, comparable to other income streams in terms of broadcast and revenue commercial, you know, T. Teams like Liverpool, Man United are still touching a hundred million pounds four mm. times currently what Newcastle uh, or previous to this takeover Newcastle were earning before COVID on on match day income. So that's it's still something you want to try. You want to try and yeah. you're going to compete with Manchester United, the biggest club in the world in terms of income and sponsorship in Man City. You are going to have to try and match them in every area, and ultimately match day income is going to be an area you have to try and do that with them. So the only way to do that. Also, for the secondary reasons you say in terms of like food, drink, um, you know, the store and that kind of stuff, you are going to need a bigger stadium. Very interesting there that they are looking at the Gallic, and that's what a lot of supporters um, assume and, and, and are interested in. And the other thing that came out of Darren's interview, I suppose, was the big conversation that's been sparked, um, which is naming the ground, which mm. there's been a lot of history with Bunny Castle, Mike Ashley, and sports directors in James's Park. But it's one of those things where, you know, in his interview, um, he talks about, you know, consulting with supporters. Never an easy thing to do. Hopefully, the club would speak to the supporters trust who can at least give something of an official response in terms of canvassing members. But do you think reading between the lines, and, and I might be being very harsh at Darren here, and I don't mean to be, but is it something that they'll just do? Because he's already talking about it in public. He's already saying, that yeah, we'll have to get it right. We'll have to make sure supporters are happy. But like you say, the club and, and Dan Ashworth and uh, Darren mentioned this, they're constantly trying to find their way through around mm. um, FFP. Do you think it's something that's just going to happen, renaming the stadium? Not really. I think it will be an association. I think it will be, for example, in a, in a Ramco at St. James's Park, St. James's Park in association with, who would never remove the St. James's, and, uh, you know, would never be the sports direct arena for... Uh, for example. So I think in that regard, they would make it as palatable as possible for supporters. And do you know what? They're quite clever. So that message was a very deliberate message. So when they say they're consulting with supporters, 
that consultant with supporters now, just through this process, someone yeah. will probably be listening to this podcast. What do you think? You know, they'll be reading the comments beneath the stories already by putting that out there in the public domain. The consultation has begun. In reading the comments beneath the stories I've written, you know, it's a one hundred percent yes from what I can see. I think every supporter is is signed up. I don't want to speak for every supporter, but you know, the majority of, of responses would give me the impression that if there was if it was put to them, you know, for an extra 50, 60 million pounds a season, would you settle for a Saudi or, or whatever sponsor in association with at St. James's Park? I think the resounding answer would be yes. And I suppose the easiest thing for me to do now, Alex, is put the question back to you. Yeah, I think it'll happen. I, I think it will. I think it's it's like I've just to go back to my previous answer, if you're gonna compete with all of these different clubs, you have to compete at every level. And Dan Ashworth references, you know, like you said, there's nine different parts of the football club. Mm. Every single one of them is going to have to be at the top of its game if we're ever going to win a Premier League title. You know, Anfield doesn't yet have naming rights, but again, it's probably not far away. But you look at where Manchester City play, Mm. it's become so ingrained now. It's an airline. It's the name of an airline, but everyone calls it the Etihad. Mm. The club are, are simply, probably, and I'm not an expert in this, but... If there's a couple of hundred million quid lying there, you know, across across a, a deal for a season or two seasons or three seasons, it's going to be very hard for them not to do that. And I and I understand that. I get the reasons. And to take it back to to last time, I think one of the big issues last time was that the club got paid absolutely nothing for it. That's mm-hmm. clearly not going to. No, no one is going to have that fear this time. It's simply not going to mm-hmm. be there. One of the things that leads me nicely on to Craig is your interview with Darren probably has the most you know it has um what's the right way of saying this has the most direct references to Saudi Arabia hmm. than any other interview I've really seen from anyone <laughs> at the club and to, you know he, he mentions the population he mentions the deals that can be done hmm. was was this the kind of first time you've you've dealt with someone on the record being incredibly open that Saudi Arabia PIF are going to be crucial in the commercial deals for this football club moving forward well, there's a reason for that, Alex. He's the first person of executive level who's been put up in front of us on the record since day one of the takeover. So, you know, Eddie Howe isn't going to sit there and talk to us about the growing popular, you know, the young Saudi population. If he did, we could have a fright if it was a detour from, you know, he, he's not going to talk to us about that. And that was actually a point we made to him, you know. We, we wanted to stress that, is it right that for the past 12 months, the only person who has sat in front of us guys is, is Eddie Howe and is that to field questions at various junctures? On, on human rights and, and, and everything else that goes with the controversy surrounding the owners. And they are, they admitted, you know, it, it's not ideal, but Eddie is that, you know, that he is the public face and uh, employee of the football club who speaks two or three times to the press. That's just a, a, nat- a week to the press. That's just a natural byproduct of it. But, but yeah, to, to go back to what you said, uh, yeah, there was almost, I came away and I said this to one of the other guys, there was almost a, a feeling of with Darren Eels, the Saudis exist. They're there, and we're going to embrace it. We're not going to hide away from it. If we're going to strike a deal with a, a Saudi firm, a Saudi company, Saudi associate, then let's just say it. Let's not say, oh, we might do, we might not do, we're not going to, and then go and do it down the line. There was just that feeling of, you, you used the word before there with regards, Dan, bullishness. You know, okay, yeah, we're going to do it. They exist, the, 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 the majority owners of the football club, we are going to do it. And it, it, it made headlines because for us, you know, that, that admission was the, the first time, as you said as well, someone had gone on the record and said, you know, we are going to use the Saudis to 
I think it was open doors. You know, if you want to be more cynical, you could use a word like exploit. You know, it's it's a way to to get money out of that country and and then Newcastle United and they they are they are going to do that. So and they they have to do that. You know, we we already knew that, but have someone committing to that on the record was uh, was good. I think it was the the best policy for the club. Why why try and shy away from it? You know, the Saudis are there. They they do exist. So so yeah, to answer your question, he did. He was very open and, and, and honest about their presence and, and their involvement and where they want to go to cl- where they want the club to go. Really, I don't know what 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 you thought of that. What was your takeaway from that reading? It refreshing again. It, it, it's it, it like you say correctly. This on the record stuff is just so different to what we've had both pre and post takeover. Um, I've obviously really enjoyed the fact that he's just speaking to to you guys and, and therefore to the supporters. Very, very, very good. And I also appreciate his honesty. You know, I really do. I think it would have been easy. The easy thing, it looks like both him and Dan haven't taken the easy option, which I like. The easy option, and you would know more about this than me, but the easy option sometimes with the press is to brief off the record and on the record say pretty boring things, which Mm. people can interpret either way. There's very little open to interpretation here. You know Mm. what they've actually said. Like you said, you know, the fact that Darren Eels references Manchester City. It, it, I like the fact that he references Manchester City. I like the fact that he talks about um, financial fair play. I like the fact that he talks about PIF Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, renaming St. James's Park. These are the kind of things which supporters think about. So he's kind of, you know, in tune with that to an extent. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's a really, really positive thing. And I think he, he says a little, you know, joke to you um, about saying to Eddie Howe, about we might have to go to Australia this year, but it means that you can get the backup left back. Backup left back is, is Newcastle haven't had a backup left back since about 1995. Yeah, so yeah. little things like that are great. Um, and I suppose before we move on to a couple of questions from from listeners, you know, a lot of people um, knew who Dan Ashworth was. You know, long-standing roles in English football, like you said, very exciting appointment. Not so many people knew about Darren Eels. Now you've had a chance to sit down with him in a professional capacity. What were your initial thoughts from from that meeting and from what he said? Yeah, uh, good knowledge, uh, great enthusiasm. Uh, you can see why he's he's respected within the game. Uh, you you almost forget when you're sitting there with him. You know that, that he does have a football background himself as a as a player. You know because uh, I think he is he's evolved and developed that much into the into the, the, the executive role that he comes across as absolutely convincing and someone who's probably been there his entire life. But, you know, he has got a, he has got a football background, which helps. Uh, yeah, he, 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 he was good. You know, he, he, like I say, he was more, uh, it was slightly more of a pitch with with Darren than it was with with Dan. Dan got stuck in, in, in the mechanics a little bit more. And that's probably because, and the reason I say this is, a lot of what, Darren is saying, and he's been, he hasn't, you know, he's only been there seven weeks or so. so a lot of what he's saying is forecasting things for the future. He's talking about things that haven't happened yet. So for him, it was harder to go into actual tangible examples because what he is telling us is what he wants to do and what what might happen and what will happen. Whereas, whereas Dan, you know, I think he's got his fingers into the club already and he was able to give us, you know, better examples of of what he will do internally. But but no, nonetheless, you know, two. This goes full circle. Back to that word I said: two credible football people at a level where this football club, for so long, has had an absolute vacuum of, of expertise and 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 credence and cachet, uh, and and they've got that. So so yeah. 
Brilliant. I think a lot of a lot of the questions that have come in we've answered in the course of the conversation, but I'll put to you a few things uh, that have come in. Um, you know, maybe aside from that, uh, you know, questions. A lot of questions about January. About hmm. um, you know, Ben asks, "Do you think the money will be avail- uh, available for Newcastle to take advantage?" You know, in a window where rivals don't tend to spend, Newcastle should last January. They were going to spend heavily, and, and people asking about January in particular, and if the club. If they're in touch and distance of the top four, Percini asked that as well. Do you think that's going to be the reason the club spend in January? Do you think? Do you think we're in an era now where they'll spend mm. every transfer window, regardless of the situation? Yes. Yeah, so, so this answer isn't necessarily coloured purely from what we got from Darren and uh, Dan. You know, it's from various conversations over the course of the past two or three weeks. And my understanding of January is. Uh, Newcastle will act if a deal is, is viable, if there's value there. If they think something is, is too good to turn down uh, and they, they want to do it and they think it's, it's, it's worthwhile, they, they can in the will. They can in the will. They're not going into January to think it's a month in which they need to spend. You know, don't be massively surprised if Newcastle don't spend it, don't spend a penny in January. If they're being quoted silly money for players and they're doing okay in the league and everyone's fit enough and everyone's okay, then they, they probably don't need to. The message as well is very much a, a wait and see. You know, as you said there, there are so many variables to this. Variables such as, and this is what, what someone said to me inside the club, one variable is the form of Miguel Al- Almiron. Two or three weeks ago, you might have been thinking, Newcastle have got to go out in January and spend big money on a right winger. Now, if Miguel Almiron's current form persists, you know, up until the World Cup and he comes back late December, early January in, in, in a similar vein, well, then right wing isn't as much of a priority in the short term. Same goes for number six. Now, we all know they want a number six to free Bruno to go to go and play further up the field. Now, if John Joe Shelby comes back and stays fit and plays well, that makes a number six in January less pressing. I think going forward long term, a six for next summer could be up there at the very, the very top of the list. I, I really do believe that. So a lot of variables in terms of is the money available well, yes, the money with Newcastle is probably always available. I think it's always there if they if they need it. Uh, it's just a case of, of making those sums and making those calculations from an FFP perspective. And they haven't really got much wiggle room at all with regards to that. Now, I'll answer a question of my own here. James Madison is a name which is often put to me. I don't think it's one which will happen in January because I think Madison was a deal with, which ha- happened at a price with, with Leicester taking into account his contract situation in the summer. But Newcastle wanted to get him at, at what they felt was, you know, 35 to 40 million pounds. If James Madison goes to 60, and, you know, I, I just don't think that's the market they're in at the moment, buying a, a ready-made 25, 26-year-old for, for 60, potentially you know, 65 million pounds. So, and that leads me on to a really interesting answer that Dan Ashworth gave. He was asked, when will Newcastle's first 100 million pound purchase be? When will that come? And I thought it was really informative when he turned around to us and said, we don't want to sign 100 million pound players. We don't want to be in a position whereby we have to. We want, and they've proved that already. So they've got Sven Botman and Bruno Gomares for 36 million pounds and 32 million pounds. Now, those guys, in my mind, are good enough to take him to 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 challenge him at the Premier League and, and into Champions League football. So, so if something, if you're having to spend 100 million pounds on a player, for me, the journey Newcastle's on and how they want to operate, something's probably gone wrong. If you're having to having having to spend that, that might sound silly, but I understood what he was saying, and I come away thinking, actually, you know what? You've made me think there. Newcastle aren't going to operate whereby that they're, they're throwing money at it. 
They want to unearth bargains. They want to get players who you buy them for £36 million in January, a la Bruno Gomares, eight months later, they're worth double that, if not more. They're worth £100 million. They don't want to pay £100 million for the £100 million players, is what I'm saying. They've actually got one in Bruno Gomares. They only paid £36 million for him. I like that way of operating. I think it's smart. I think it's savvy. I think they've got the people in place to achieve that, certainly based on what we've, uh, on what we've seen so far. I always say this, don't I? To go back to your question, uh, January, I don't expect to see massive business. No, I don't. You you put it to me there, didn't you? What happens if they're on the coattails of the top four? Will they gamble a little bit? Well, that's one of the variables they're talking about. I suppose that's a decision they'll they'll make closer at the time. But but nothing is in stone. I think what they do want to do as much as anything is is younger players, Garan Crowles, the lad they got from, from Ireland, Alex Murphy, who I've been at the 23s three times now. Wow, he 18 year old from Ireland. What a player he looks. He's, he's built like Sven Botman. He carries himself like Botman. If you can get along to Whitney Park, the 23s, listeners, go and see this boy, Alex Murphy. He's brilliant. Uh, really, really impressed with him so far. There's the the, the, the guy Santos from Vasco the Gamma. I've just done a little story on it there this afternoon. You know, I've had it confirmed that he is one that they are looking at, they are pursuing. Uh, if, if, if we can get these guys in for what Garan Kuro, three, four, five million pound, Alex Murphy. A million pound, and all of a sudden they're worth far more down the down the track. Now that does one of two things: either you bring in a player for for next to nothing who is worth, who sorry, who is good enough for the first team, or you do what the other big clubs do and you sell them for ten million pound, you sell them for eight million pound, and that's how you generate money through through trading. So a lot of these pieces are starting to come together now, and a lot of it is starting to make sense. Uh, in terms of January, again, same phrase, Alex, isn't it? I'll come back to your question. Uh, I don't think they will spend a great deal. I really don't. That was my gut instinct based on information and just how I how I read the situation. Thanks for that. Uh, two people, uh, Kia, uh, sorry, not Kia, uh, Tom and someone else, uh, Carl, have asked any hints on the Super League. I don't imagine this would have, uh, you know, this would have been top of the agenda for you guys. But the Super League is making press again. There's stuff mm-hmm. going on the court at the minute against UEFA. Newcastle United want to be part of those top six clubs in the Premier League and make it a top seven. Hmm. Um, what What are your thoughts then, if it hasn't been mentioned here, about Newcastle United and the Super League? Well, do you know, who was that? Tom and Carl, did he say? Tom yeah. And... Tom I wish they'd been in the room with us because that was a good question we didn't ask. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we should have put the shout out for questions before we went in to see Darren and Dan, <laughs> not afterwards. It was probably a question we should have asked. You know, where did the club stand on the Super League? My understanding through various chats over the course of the past year has been that they they are anti-Super League. Absolutely. Uh, it is not something they're, uh, they're willing to throw their weight behind at all. Uh, so, yeah, I'll try and give a short answer on this one. As far as the Super League goes, Newcastle, from my understanding, wouldn't be subscribing to it at all. But that could change. That could change. Uh, probably final question, Craig, because we've got to wrap it up and a lot of the other questions we've answered in the course. Uh, question from here. Um, he's just wondering if you've spoken to the recently departed West Brom manager this week to check he's all right. <laughs> Did you see Andy comments? Andy, Cop- Andy, yeah. Andy Carroll's comments earlier. But, you know, the start out is Andy Carroll was asked, playing Red and playing West Brom at the weekend, what's your thoughts on Steve Bruce going? He starts out with a wonderfully sincere answer, you know, always sad when somebody loses their job especially as we were guaranteed three points at the weekend, <laughs> which I just thought was wonderfully cutting. Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't spoken to him. Of course, I haven't spoken to him. Uh, I just think, yeah, you know, over the... over a, What 
didn't didn't alarm me. You know, it didn't didn't alarm me at all. It, it's uh, it's I just found it quite shocking, really, that this continues. I read I read an, an inside story about on why he'd gone at West Brom, and you could honestly have changed the words West Brom for Newcastle yeah. United when it come to. It staggers me how you can get away with this in the modern game, and that's why I put out a certain tweet that I did. How you can continue to think this is okay, to not be prepared for for training sessions, to uh, to not do your work on the opposition, for your coaches to, to, to be accused of a lack of profession uh, preparation for professionalism. All the same accusations that emerged during that time at Newcastle. Here you go into your next job, you've learned absolutely nothing, and you think you can get away with it again. You can't fool all the people all the time. And I think, uh, yeah, I think certain people are being exposed. The longer they're in a job, the worse it probably is for them. So, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, finish, we'll finish with that. I said last question, but last, last question, definitely. You think we'll beat Man U this weekend? Uh, will Newcastle beat Man U? Uh, I think they'll give me a good game. They certainly won't go there and be, be subservient, as, as previous teams have done in the not-too-distant past. Uh, Newcastle teams, uh, I think they'll go there and, and, and give it a good go. From what I'm hearing, Isaac's back training now. Whether that's enough to be on the bench at the weekend, I, I don't know. Uh, do I think they'll win? I don't think they'll get beat. I, I'd commit to that. I don't think they'll get beat. Uh, I, I've got every confidence in them at the moment. Uh, you know, I've been on previous pods, haven't I? And you know, sort of pleaded for for, for realism and a little bit of level level headedness. Uh, and then they went and smashed Brentford five one three days later. But Brentford for me was a lot of things coming together. I thought they were, I thought they were they were very good, and that is what they're capable of. The challenge is, of course, to to, to keep that going and, and go go and do it again. But listen, they're sixth on the table. They've only lost once a match they shouldn't have lost. I've said on this pod so many times, you'll get no bigger advocate of Eddie Howe than myself and everything which is happening at the club from a from a football perspective and events of this week off the pitch in terms of us guys being exposed to two very key appointments, again, was all very encouraging and, and very positive. So probably a good note to end on rather than the negativity of a certain former manager. Thanks to Craig for his time. Um, excellent podcast. I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, and really, really interesting chat. Uh, like I said at the start of the show, if you like uh, these chats with Craig, uh, me and some of my pals at True Faith, we speak to him every other week on the True Faith podcast patron platform. Get lots of action. He casts out podcasts, two quid a week, eight pound a month, uh, or whatever currency you'd like to pay in. Um, I can't wait until we go to Manchester United. Hopefully, uh, we'll do more than just get the points. Craig thinks we'll get. I'll be there and we'll have this free podcast back. Uh, it be Monday night by the time we get back from Manchester, go into our paid employment and then are able to podcast to you people about Newcastle United being absolutely class. Hopefully. Speak to you then. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.